3: Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli.
4: I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah. And you're
0: listening to the Tennis Podcast. <laughs>
3: Welcome along to Tennis Podcast Towers, the Parisian edition and the aftermath of day two of Roland Garros 2022. David's here.
2: Yeah. Hello, David. Hello. Yeah, I've just come back from sight and uh, and I avoided the rain, so it's, it was a good end.
3: Yeah. The rain has been a big feature of the day, folks. Prepared to hear Brits whinging about the weather. Matt's here too. Hello, Matt.
4: Hello, yes. Avoiding the rain was one of the challenges of today, and uh,
3: we just about did it. Mm. It's been a day, hasn't it? It uh, It is 12 minutes past midnight, Parisian time, as we come to you. And the day kicked off 13 hours ago, didn't it? And we didn't think it would start on time. We were just assuming... Oh, the outside courts are going to be a washout. That's what all our weather apps have told us. We'll sort of make our leisurely way in for uh, for the midday start on Philippe Chaturier under the lovely cosy roof. Well, no. Amanda Anasimova and Naomi Osaka weren't having any of that. They said, the skies are going to clear. We're going to start on time. And lo and behold, it happened. And that is where, while well, I was dilly-dallying, <laughs> <laughs> and uh and having my slightly more leisurely morning that is where matt and david you started your day on suzanne
2: longland and it was joyous uh, we we got there and for some reason i i was not expecting the match to be taking place because we'd all talked about the rain and how it was all going to be washed out and suddenly we got there and on the big screen next to longland they were a game in and matt and i just uh scuttled in and took our seat on the front row of the press seats and I could only stay for about 45 minutes, but those 45 minutes will stay with me. And it wasn't like the the Elise local crowd just r- roaring and making you feel part of it in that way. This was just pure tennis. This was two players who are so bloody good at tennis and they were just standing toe-to-toe. And the, because of where we were sitting, just a few metres away, at pretty much head height to their to where they are you could see the purity of the ball strike the 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 footsteps the just how brilliant they are at the the game and um and they were on it as well for, for for until the end of the first set certainly which is when i had to leave but it was it was a real thrill
4: yeah it was the closest i've ever been to the amanda anissim over backhand so <laughs> a big day for me we saw the face a lot <laughs> and honestly i i so rarely know where I want to be on the opening few days of a Grand Slam. I'm sure both of you can confirm this. I'm torn in many different directions, pulled in many different directions and want eyes on this match, eyes on that match because there's just so much great tennis everywhere. But seeing that on the order of play, it was just so obvious to me that that was where I wanted to be this morning, if possible. Um, Just had this feeling of contentment watching that match and David's right it was it was a joy it was it was brilliant brilliant quality tennis it wasn't as thrilling a match as they played in Australia when Anisimova had to save two match points to win but you know it was still brilliant to watch them hit the ball so cleanly up close there was a quiet intensity to the match from the start both players were really locked in and playing some of their best tennis that they could. And I, I felt the key was pretty much as Osaka had called it before the tournament, where she said she really struggles against the Anisimova return. Um, in Australia, it was more the first serve return, whereas here it was the second serve return. And there was actually a point in, in the first set today where Osaka muttered under her breath, or actually it wasn't that much under her breath because we were... We heard uh, it. You both heard it. Yeah. The telly we, heard it. <laughs> we were 10 or 15 metres away and heard it pretty clearly, Um, you know, effing first serve. She was really cross with not getting it in and because Anissa Mova was just dominating that second serve.
3: Well, she was less than 50% on the first serve mm. today, Naomi Osaka. Now, my analysis of the match was that wasn't just an isolated thing That happened. She didn't just wake up and happen to have an unfortunately bad serving day. That was because, and she revealed it to us, didn't she, on media day, her pre-tournament press conference. The Amanda Anisimova return is, you know, living rent-free in in her head. (laughs) Um, But she said in press afterwards, and we will, of course, get on to other things that Naomi Osaka said in press afterwards. But she said in press afterwards that wasn't the reason she thought it was just lack of practice on the serve that that was why she had a bad serving day today which is I, don't, I mean I have to take her word for it but um the good news is she said her Achilles is absolutely fine Um that was that was no problem for her at all I think she just I think her summation of this clay court season would be really frustrating. She said, You know, I really thought I was gonna have a good run in Madrid and I really thought I was gonna have a good run in Rome and I really thought I was gonna have a good run at Roland Garros and obviously the sort of the three reasons for not having a good runner, you know, they're all different from one another, but you know, I do think there's an alternate universe where she did have a have better luck, a better draw here. Didn't get the injury in Rome and did have you know not title winning, obviously nobody's title winning apart from Igor Swiatek and Ons Jabeur, but um, did have some runs on the clay. I do think that alternate universe plausibly exists, and I and I do share her her frustration a little bit. But Anisimova was great today, and um, I think I think I have her in my quarterfinals. So I. I feel good about the fact that Anisimova was was great today. I was
2: impressed with her perseverance because I muttered to Matt around until about four all, I think Osaka's going to win based on what I was watching. You know, I just felt she had more of the answers in the rally and I felt she she's lighter on her feet. And Anisimova's movement, I, I can't believe, won't get in her way at some point. And she can get to balls, it's not... She's she, not that she's unfit or anything, but some players don't move as lightly on the feet as others. There was a there was a moment l-
3: later on today, and look, we'll come on to talk about uh, about Emirati uh, but uh, there was a moment while Matt and I were watching Emirati Kanu against the extremely talented uh, Linda Nozkova, the seventeen-year-old from the Czech Republic. We'll talk about that match, of course, but Simon Briggs turned round after about you know. A set of uh, of Nozkova just blasting winners left, right, and centre, and he said, uh, "She's uh, she's like, isn't she?" And so I, and Matt went, "Nope."
2: I love it. He's Why?
3: not having any comparisons to that Anisimova backhand.
4: It's one and only, the Anisimova backhand. He was
3: really him. bossy Look, about I'm- it. <laughs>
4: Ooh. Nope. I, I was I was in a feisty mood all afternoon due to unfortunate. There was a pork incident, incident at lunch. We'll get on to that. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, just
3: hang on. Just we, I, I've I've said we'll get on to that about eight times now. We need to start. We need to start ticking these things off the hit list. Matt, explain what happened
4: at lunch. Well, Catherine and I were in the queue for pork, and Catherine was just ahead of me. Got her pork, and it was the last bit of sail through with the pork, David. It was, it was the last bit, and I thought, oh well. The next bit will be along in a couple of minutes. I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure sure they're prepared for this scenario of running out of pork and the next pork will be along in a moment. No problem. I'll wait. 35 minutes later...
3: Matt's just standing there with his tray for (laughs) 35 minutes.
2: I did notice that when I slightly tried to take the mick out of you for telling me the wrong person to predict in the predictions and to talk me out of Diane Parry's incredible win more of that later, um, that, that, you, that you would go along with it and be all jovial, but you weren't.
4: Well, normally I do, but little did you know, you sent that message at the exact moment that I sat down to eat with Catherine, who'd finished her meal, had seconds, and already seen off two people to have lunch with before I finally rocked up, and I thinking didn't, that I'd abandoned And her. I didn't
3: have the heart to tell, a, a bereft-looking
4: Matt that the pork was
3: merely average. It was
4: average, and just... Not to labour <laughs> the point, but just one last thing on this: when, when finally the pork was ready, <laughs> I was at the front of the queue, and you would think that they would just plate mine up and give it to me, right? That would be the sensible thing to do for the yeah. person who's been waiting there the longest. Normal. What they did was had a look at there was like eight, you know it was a queue of about ten people by this point. They plated them up individually. Cut the pork, put it on one plate. Cut the pork, put it on another plate. Cut the pork, put it on another plate.
3: And the mashed potatoes were in, were on a separate plate. So
4: not only did I have to then wait an extra, you know, two minutes to get my meal plated up, I had to wait for ten people's meals to get plated up before I could have my own, adding, adding to the already ridiculous weight I'd already had.
3: And they'd run out of the delicious chocolate... Yogurt.
4: Yeah. So, anyway, all that is to say, by the time Simon was comparing <laughs> someone to Amanda <laughs> and Anissimova...
3: He wasn't The best backhand
4: I've ever seen. I wasn't having it. and I wonder, I wonder why Simon looked a bit chastened when well, I saw him a bit later. Look, she's great, Noskova, and we, she does hit a big, flat, hard ball. We there pointed are him in the direction
3: of a, Cla- uh, of a Clara Towson yes. analogy. She's That's n- the one I
4: see. She's
2: no Cosmova. No.
3: <laughs> anyway, look, we'll talk more about her in a minute. While you two were watching uh, Anisimova against Naomi Osaka, I well, I was headed to come and join you, but then I diverted at the last minute because I had to pass. By Court Seven, in order to get to Longland, and of course on Court Seven at the time was Bianca Andrescu
4: against Isaline.
3: Thank you, thank you, Matt. Isaline Bonaventure (laughs) of uh, of Belgium, and I hadn't. I had intended to keep an eye on this match, but not necessarily spend a lot of time there because I expected Andrescu to win pretty comfortably um But at the point that I passed by Court Seven, she was just setting a breakdown, and you alerted me to this. So I thought, I'll pop in. I'll just I'll pop in. Bit of a palaver about finding press seats because it's it's an outside court. Turns out there was a designated press area. I had to do a bit of a sort of mission impossible maneuver in order to to get to it without disrupting play. Anyway, I got there, sat down. I know nobody is going to believe this. I just need to head it off at the pass. I know this isn't going to sound believable, but I was accidentally a mere three metres from Coco and the Andrescus.
4: (laughs) (laughs) We got sent... So many happy WhatsApp messages in the <laughs> half an hour, 45 minutes. I that just Catherine walked in in the there. rain.
3: It was exactly what I needed. First of all, I looked over, saw Mama and Papa Andreska, and obviously that's a glorious sight. They are fabulous people. But at first glance, I thought Coco wasn't present. And I thought, disappointing, but okay. Then I saw a furry head pop out of a, a designer handbag. <laughs> and I thought, it's all coming up, Catherine. Um,
2: See, I want to believe you, but I, I was present when you chased the Andrescu's mm. around the stadium <laughs> to go and have a, have a little say hello.
0: Mm.
1: That was at the end of the t-
3: <laughs> I I've got no explanation for that. Yeah, I can I know, I know. She had a honey juice. How many from? honey juices would it I'd have taken At for least you two, two of, honey juices. Yeah. Today it was honey juice free and I was so professional. I didn't make an approach. No. Probably. I sat there at a distance and my twitching fingers did not get to stroke that lovely dog. Um, and uh, Papa Andrescu, what's his name? Maria is her mum, isn't it? I can't quite remember her father's name. Anyway, he does a thing where whenever it gets tense, and it was tense today for Andrescu, he leans in to Coco and she licks his ear.
2: And, and, and it's just gorgeous. Bianca says that they hold Coco up, mm. When she's feeling stressed, Mm. I mean Bianca. Well, it made me feel less stressed. (laughs) So, um,
3: and it was a stressful match. Bianca Andrescu did not play well. It was all fight. It was all hustle. It was all heart. And I find all of those things from Andrescu intoxicating, and I loved it. I didn't actually get to see the very end of the match because there was a rain delay when she was three love up in the third. but it was it was a, a procession once she came back out from the rain delay. But she was she was headed out of that match and it's not like she suddenly found her game. Yes, she picked it up when it mattered in the big moments, but it was hard work for her today. So I thought that was impressive. She plays Blinda Bencic next in yes please oh, yeah. news.
2: She finished it with an inside out backhand from the middle of the oh. court, you know one of those. That's I I think the timing involved in that must be so precise and she just nailed it.
3: Oh. So I went from uh, from Bianca Andreski straight into the into the media room where I met Matt. We were both uh, a little bit soggy. David, you had already reported to BBC commentary duty at this point. We'll come Mm. on to that shortly. Matt and I then ended up in a series of back to back press conferences, which we're expecting to be interesting but we weren't expecting to be as dramatic as they turned out to be. Naomi Osaka was the first to come into press of the big names. And she said a number of interesting things about the uh, the loss to Anna Samova, her clay court season in general, how she's feeling. She's always interesting. She's always engaging. Then she's asked about Wimbledon and the grass. And she says she's not sure if she's going to play Wimbledon. And without specifically getting into the politics of the decision, I thought she very elegantly avoided that. She said that she is a very rankings motivated tennis player. I presume now more than ever since her ranking has dropped, she's had some tough draws. She's probably thinking, I don't want to keep having to play Amanda over in the first round of Grand Slams. Yeah.
4: Yeah, I definitely think now more than ever because I actually had a chat while I was in the pork queue at lunch (laughs) with um, Aki, who is one of the prominent Japanese journalists and tennis podcast listeners as well. Hello, Aki. And she pointed out that back in January at the Australian Open, one of the things Asaka said was that she wasn't worried about her ranking because, you know, she felt that players wouldn't want to face her in the early rounds. And there has been a switch, I think, over the last few months, with the way it's gone, with her getting the tough draws Nissa and not has winning, been... mm. absolutely,
3: mm, absolutely. So she said she's a very rankings motivated player. So playing at Wimbledon might not work for her. Um, she said uh, she would like some grass court practice, but she said instinctively, and she was very sort of delicate with this point because she said, "I I know it's not an ex- exhibition." but instinctively for me it would feel like one and she feels that she is never able to bring her best in exhibition matches there's you know there's that chip missing that is essential to a to a dogged competitor and a champion she also added um, that she has some fear of grass in general because she slipped on it in at Wimbledon in 2019, injured her knee quite badly, but then she also recognised the need to to face her fears of grass. But look, she wasn't definitive. She said things could change. She even indicated she thought the stance of the ATP and WTA might change. I happen to think that seems unlikely, but she seemed to think that was... That was a possibility. I left that press conference thinking Naomi Osaka probably won't play Wimbledon. Maybe even almost certainly won't play Wimbledon. I would, I would certainly be surprised if she did. And there were a lot of journalists leaving that room going, "I have. Doesn't matter what else happens today, I've got the story." It was, it was a big moment, wasn't it, Matt?
4: It was, and I ended up thinking the same as you that based on what she was saying, based on the ranking points issue, based on her fear of grass, as she put it, uh, that if the situation doesn't change, that she probably won't play. It probably won't be worth it for her to play. And the the only reason to play would be this idea of trying to get some practice on the grass, looking ahead to future years.
2: I find that hard to listen to. To be honest. I mean, I, it's up to her, and uh, I respect. She, not everybody has the same personality, the same views on things. If she's rankings or, oriented, I understand that, and she's a very different person to, to many, and and I celebrate that. But to talk about Wimbledon as getting some practice on grass as a possible reason to go, calling it an exhibition, which is a really toxic word within tennis. Really, that is a that is a word that tennis uses for knockabout matches with Mansour Brahmi or she players was, but showing she, off...
3: She knew it was an inflammatory word to use when she said it. I mean, look, she still used it, but she definitely did dance around that word and qualify it m- massively. Mm,
2: but but it's out there. And, I mean, look, Wimbledon will will hate that. I mean, and look, that's up to them. But But you know, that is a damaging word to use in relation to the Wimbledon Championships. And uh, look, I I do understand that removing the ranking points does change things on a certain level and it may lead to a few players leaving or uh, deciding not to play. And I actually think Osaka deciding to say that may make some players think, is it worth me playing? You know, maybe, is it an exhibition? Is it, you know... That That's also a possibility. I think anybody that ends up going won't feel like that. I think anybody that does go will be fully invested and the majesty of Wimbledon and the history of, of 140 years and the names on the trophy and the place itself will override everything,
4: personally. I think if she doesn't end up playing, it would... It would be a it would slightly damage her case in future years when she says that you know she's desperate to improve on grass and you know because she's made that a big thing, and I've enjoyed that her saying and admitting that she's got progress to make on clay and on grass, and she's further ahead on clay. she spoke about that today as well um how it's grass that is the real surface which she struggles on, but if you're not taking opportunities to play on that surface when when you're fit and at the moment she is fit thankfully mm-hmm. then you can't in sort of future years sort of use that i don't think anymore you know there would be a be a clear sort of line in the sand really i suppose that she would have have, have drawn by by making this decision so i hope just as much for this year and also for future years that we do see an area at wimbledon but like you, I'm I'm not convinced at the moment.
3: Mm. Yeah, look, there there was there was plenty of follow up and fallout to, to those comments. Obviously they were put to 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 a procession of players as they came through the press conference rooms throughout the day and will it'll keep coming up. While Naomi Osaka was in that press conference, David, I think you were making your very much long awaited return to the BBC five live commentary booth to deliver just in time to deliver Iga Swiatek's first match point of the tournament, you had to get in there quick.
4: Yeah, I did. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yes. It, it was her fastest win of the season, apparently, oh. fifty-four minutes. And I feel like, and that was her, she's had a lot of very fast wins. That
3: was her. I'm stealing Matt Stat here, or a, or a fragment of uh, today's Matt Stat. There's a teaser for you if you haven't already subscribed to the newsletter. That's the fourteenth match of the year so far in which Iga Svantec has won a six-love set?
4: Wow. It was her 14th six-love set. Oh, okay. But has she had any six-love, six-loves?
3: That was last season, Matt. Yeah, Yeah. that's right.
4: Yeah. (laughs) Poor (laughs) Pliskova.
3: So so you you were dunked straight in at the match point deep end, David?
2: Yeah, yeah, I was. Um, And it was... It was a f- strange feeling the f- the sort of twenty minutes before I went on air because um I suppose I've been thinking about that moment for months really um uh, anybody who doesn't know i haven't I haven't commentated since last September and the last match I think I would have commentated on was maybe the u s open men's semi final I, d- I did the um the Raducanu victory moment in the semi finals that got her into the, the championship match um and then and then I, I was ill during the the women's final when all the symptoms of long COVID that I've had ever since um, really hit me, and, and I had to come off air during that match, and I haven't commentated since at all. Um, so, and I, and I didn't go to the Australian Open, as you know, because because of it. Um, so, yeah, you know, I've been building up to the moment that I could go back in the commentary box without the brain fog, engulfing me and the sort of feeling that i can't find words sometimes and things like that things that are you know you can't imagine as a commentator and even today there were moments where i think i can't quite think of the word i'm trying to say but i felt great all day which is fantastic feeling for me because i had 12 hours in the commentary box and no ill effects whatsoever but in the 10 minutes before going on air i felt i felt quite emotional about it all really you know that um because i didn't know whether i would be able to do it again um So it was it was a joyous moment for me, and to be describing a a Sviantek match point victory was was lovely inside the court. Philippe Chatrier and the crowd and all the rest of it, and yeah, I mean she looks really. I mean she didn't even look like she was playing her best to me, and she's won in fifty four minutes, and and she does it with such urgency when she's moving around the court. I, I noticed a sort of pointing out a mark to, to the umpire when she's about six two three love up as if to say you know she wanted that point as well you know and 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 i, I love that about somebody who's who, who's so nice to listen to when she came in and did the interview with Max Philander on the court straight afterwards you know she just sort of said hi everybody you know sister really everybody likes her and and Matt Salander said, you know, you, you you just you just look like you can't lose. And she said, oh, oh, I can lose. And I thought she knows exactly who she is, where she is. There's no there's no pretense here. This takes work. This takes process. This takes clocking in every single day. And she's prepared to do it.
3: Well, it was wonderful to to hear you back in commentary, David Matt. Like we we weren't able to hear it live, but we through. Through quite a complicated VPN-related system, where we're <laughs> able to, we able to listen to it uh, on a delay, and it was it was wonderful. It Thank was you. wonderful to hear, and um, like
4: you've never been away, David. Absolutely,
3: well, yeah, yeah. Long may it continue. Is it possible that creps are the cure for long COVID? Well, I don't know. Some scientists should look into that. I I'm, think I'm, I'm quite into them. <laughs> <laughs> um, it it definitely is possible that is brilliant as Igor Sviantek was in in her match today she was even more impressive in press really afterwards yeah absolutely on the subject of of what Naomi Osaka had had today it had to say just just sort of minutes minutes before her she said (laughs) she said with a with a very knowing smile on her face, that rankings are less significant for her. She said, I have lots of points already. That was
4: <laughs> such a flex, wasn't it? It
3: really was. And she did it with <laughs> such charm and somehow with humility. Yeah, and yet, it yet it's amazing. the most sort of baller statement ever. She went, I've I've got more points than I could ever know what to do with. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a really great moment. So, so she said, look, I... I would not see it the same way as Naomi so I could didn't go anywhere near the word exhibition in fact you know it was at pains to say it wouldn't be an exhibition she said however the politics of it did matter to her a lot she said look I'm not looking at this on an individual level about whether it whether it affects me personally that much as to whether there are ranking points. she said I'm thinking about the politics and what's right here um, and she talked about you know as a as a Pole and Polish allegiance with Ukraine being particularly strong and Polish involvement in that invasion, you know, the number of the number of Ukrainian refugees that Poles have taken in, it's it's incredibly close to home for, for her and she's despite how selfish and individual a sport this is, she's not shying away from all of that, she wants to know about it, she wants to she She wants to be informed about it. She didn't declare definitively how she feels about the WTA's rankings decision. For me, I think she implied that she didn't agree with it. Matt Futterman from the New York Times said, just for clarity, what do you think of that decision? And she really agonized about, she knows how she feels, clearly, and she really agonized at and was very open about that, she said, I don't know whether I want to say it. I don't know whether I want to give you the clear quote and statement about how I feel yet. She said, when I'm ready, I'll tell you. She also, though, in tandem with that, said she, well, she knows how she feels and she's clearly very informed about the situation. She said she's wary of her age I'm only 20 years old she kept saying of her lack of life experience that's those are her words and the responsibility of being the number one player in the world and the extra weight that her words carry as a result of that and she said that is all those are all factors in her choosing whether to express her opinion and I just think I just think that's incredible. She, she's yeah. she's probably the most informed of any player, I think. The the most aware and informed and the most qualified to give a judgment and to give an opinion and yet she's the one that's not because she, because that information and that awareness makes her realize the blown, bigger picture.
2: Blown away by that. I mm. mean no, I didn't know that. I didn't know she said that. I didn't and to think that she's aware of that and maybe she's been advised in 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 that regard to speak like that but it doesn't sound like it it just sounds like she gets it and that though that point about the responsibility of being world number one and the weight your words carry when you have that status is something that I think it takes a long time for a lot of people to to realize that they have to usually have a bad experience they usually have to say something and then suddenly it's up in lights and oh oh, no, I realise I, I have to be careful with what I say. Um, whew, that's that's something else. That
3: Yeah, she was incredible. And at, at the same time, or pretty much the same time, Shontek's beaten Ukrainian opponent, Lisha Serenko was next door in Room 2. Look, we weren't able to be in that press conference. Again, Matt Futterman from the New York Times tipped us off to to look at the transcript because he had been in there. And he said, she pretty much had the room in tears. Um, it was heartrending stuff. She said she's, as you probably expect, hugely disappointed in the tour's decision to deny ranking points at Wimbledon. She said how, explained how hard it's been for her to see Russians in the locker room, that she's considered defaulting on matches against Russians, um, how difficult it is for her to be to be a tour player and to focus on tennis at the moment. And she also made a really interesting point that I've not heard made before, calling for more support for Ukrainian players who are now refugees. Okay, they're, they're relatively rich refugees, but they have no base, they have no home, they have nowhere to train. She was talking about how she was trying to figure out what to do. She lost early, I think it was in Mallorca, and she had nowhere to go, And but you know she needed to be close to Paris for Garros, but it was too early to actually come here and I think she said Marta Kostiuk helped her out and tipped her off about somewhere in Italy that she could go and train and they were really good to her and treated her really well but um yeah I mean that's that's clearly something that should be considered and looked at isn't it and look it's it's not a massive criticism. This is, you know, all pretty unprecedented for everybody. But now that light has been shed on it, surely it should be it should be addressed. But she had said, look, she was asked, have you expressed your views about the ranking situation to the WTA? And she said yes, repeatedly, over and over. She said it's not like she's not saying it behind the scenes. Um, and look, we know how much diversity of... Of opinion there is on it all. Again, more on that to come.
0: <laughs> this Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love.
2: Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right.
3: Let's get back to the tennis for a bit. Let's talk about Diane Parry, David. Tennis's best, brackets, and only possibly, Diane.
2: (laughs) Yeah, who uh, has a glorious, extravagant, single-handed backhand, which couldn't hit a barn door in the first set. It
4: certainly couldn't do any damage to Barbora Krachikova, and then it did. How many people do you think said that today? Diane Parry's got a great backhand. I've had had
3: four texts pretty much saying exactly those words.
4: Really,
2: that's interesting. See, I, I was watching where our commentary box is, and I, I was—I did the whole of that match and um, for BBC Radio. And ours is right under the roof, under the retractable roof. So you're a long way away. I mean, we have a monitor, but you don't really look at—I don't look at the monitor unless it's for replays and stuff. So I'm looking down on the court and trying to assess what the backhand really looks like up close is is a little bit difficult. But when she was when she does the full take back and follow through, it looks so. Natural. It doesn't, doesn't look like there's no hitch in it or anything like that. It's just, it's just this flourish. And you're thinking,
4: whoa, it's like watching out or something. <laughs> and it's amazing that it's so natural because I heard her say that she only switched to it five or six years ago. Really? She had a double hander and she said she switched... It sounded to me like she switched to the single hander purely for aesthetic reasons well, and love reasons. Respect that a yeah, lot. Yeah, I love that. That that is what I like most about the one-handed backhand, and it it comes through in the way she hits it. It's such a great stroke.
3: That is a hundred percent my approach to tennis. Is is this is this the most aesthetically pleasing shot that will make me feel very very proud of myself? Yes. Is it the best way to win the point? No. Do I care?
2: No. <laughs> I don't think the French crowd cared either, although they did enjoy the win as well.
3: A win over the defending champion Barbora Kuchikova, A shock, but not a surprise? Yeah, an upset. Too um
2: Look, it was a surprise based on the fact that Matt and I both thought Diane Parry was going to be rubbish. Uh, and for look, a set, she look, was. Look,
3: look, 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 look. We were going on her recent results, which definitely suggest rubbishness.
4: Yes, I agree. It, it was really a question of whether Diane Parry was good enough to beat Krejcikova. You know, I think we all felt Krejcikova was going to lose probably quite early Vulnerable. in this tournament because she hasn't played since February. But I just didn't think it would be Diane Parry who would no. be good enough to beat
2: her. And to be fair, she you know, she led by a set and a break, did Krejcikova, and then... Uh- and then Parry what just, happened? Parry hung in. She stuck in for a few games, to, to broke back and kept it close, and then really started to get inspired. The crowd really became invested in her because for the first set, it was just awkward. It was just, you know, you've got a packed crowd in here. And they're all desperate for you to do well. And she couldn't play. She was just paralyzed, it looked like out there. And, you know, you you wanted it just to finish as quick, quickly as possible on one hand. And then suddenly she started to make a, a match of it and the crowd you can cont- you know they love that backhand. they love all of all of the story the 19 year old you know that they haven't seen before she's they, they get so behind the french players here it's 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 something i didn't i just didn't expect to see it quite as 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 much as that and and then but the game of critique of it some of her misses i haven't seen a player miss that much like by that margin in a professional match before she was she was missing cross-court back ends and missing the other tram line a lot of the time w-
3: was she rusty david or was she unfit to play
2: i w- i felt rusty really um i mean i can't i i didn't hear her speak so i don't know whether she was feeling pain i felt she ran out of gas as well uh, in the third set i think she inevitably there was fatigue but It was hard to believe some of the misses in rally, just in regulation rally. She just put one and almost hit the line judges at the back of the court, you know.
3: First time a defending champion has lost in the opening round since this isn't the dazzling stat you think it's going to be. Yelena (laughs) Rostopenko. Oh, Right
2: who I might have picked to lose tomorrow
3: um, so yes David you didn't take the plunge and go for Diane Parry so you didn't get the Diane Parry points you got a consolation though from Corentin Mute. Oh,
2: well done Corentin thank you for that he
3: beat uh, former champion Stan, Stan Marinka to, to bring home the David, David and Darwin bacon
2: go on Darwin
4: we went over to Longland to watch a bit of that. We we gambled on whether we would get a um, generous security man that would let us in for the tie break uh, in the third set, and we got there. And someone asked the question, "Can we come in?" No. So we stood in the gangway for the first six points, and then he let us in at 5-1 in the tiebreak when they changed ends. So, And then the first two points we saw were Mute being Mute. On the first one, he came up with a grunt that... Was the, some of the clearest hindrance you, you you could imagine. You know, it was it was a, it was a grunt in several stages, and one of the stages was as Wawrinka was hitting the ball. Yeah.
3: None of the stages were as Mute was hitting the ball.
4: <laughs> yeah, it was honestly, it was
3: laughable, and he did it for one point, one very long rally on every every shot. I mean, honestly, laughable. People were chuckling in the crowd. I don't know how Wawrinka didn't lose it, honestly, and then. Never to be seen or heard again. Yeah,
4: and then on the next point, he attempted a round the net post, which he definitely didn't need to attempt. He just went for it anyway and missed it by by a whisker. Um, but got the set, got the match, and yeah, he, he got now me plays the points. Rafael Nadal.
3: He now plays Rafael Nadal, who just it, is is not even going to notice any of his antics, is he? Let alone get ruffled by them. No. <laughs> No. no, it's it's that's a nightmare matchup for Mute, isn't it? Did we learn anything from Nadal beating Jordan Thompson in straight sets today? Other than Jordan Thompson is still very committed to that that handlebar mustache.
2: Yes, Did we learn anything it? else? Uh, well, Nadal better than better than you might have thought two weeks ago.
4: He looked good, didn't he? I
2: mean. Is anybody wavering whatsoever on the Rafael Nadal ain't going to win the French Open line? Oh, Matt.
4: Well, I don't know whether I've said Rafael Nadal ain't going to win the French Open. He's not my pick to win it, but I... He's not even your
3: second pick to win it.
4: Is he not? You had Alcaraz, and then... No, I've never had Alcaraz. I've had Nadal, and then I went Djokovic. Okay. Nadal could totally win the French Open. Could he's he's done a could. <laughs> yeah, but like, yeah, it's not. A, he ain't gonna win it. Corentin Moutet ain't gonna win the French I'm, Open. I'm I'm just gonna
3: say, I don't I I don't think today changes anything about the foot. It always gets the foot. The foot never manifests at the beginning of a match. Yeah, and I not, think not to us anyway. It probably does to him. He's probably paying it playing in extreme pain all the time. But you see it when it gets mid to late stage of a really tight match.
4: Yeah, we saw that certainly in in the fourth set last year against Djokovic in the latter stages against Shapovalov recently. I just thought there were a lot of good signs for Nadal. He was, you know, great footwork to get around the backhand and bring his forehand into play as much as possible. And he got the match done over with quickly. And that's, you know, that might be a way of protecting the foot, not not getting involved in... In long matches, look, he would expect to beat Jordan Thompson in straight sets, you know, even if he's playing probably 50 or 60 percent, he was better than that, I felt. But that's a way, I suppose, of helping the foot not become a problem if he just tries mm. to keep the matches short and efficient.
3: After the match, he was obviously asked about the, uh, the the ATP's decision to revoke ranking points at Wimbledon. He said he didn't have a clear opinion on the various Wimbledon decisions, the the Russian-Belarusian ban, the rankings points decision. He said, at the end, I understand both sides. I respect and I understand Wimbledon position, without a doubt. But in the other hand, I understand and respect too that the ATP is protecting their members. Is that good enough from a player council member, David?
2: <sighs> yeah. It's, it, I'd like to know how he feels. Um, about it given that he's on the player council and they have clearly been part of the decision making uh, i'd like i'd like some transparency about um where he stood on it and wh- whether he voted and how he voted maybe i'm being naive but yeah i'd like that
3: mm. is it disin- is it disingenuous to say i don't have a clear opinion when you're on the he's on the players council he must have I mean, I suppose he must have voted on it. I don't. I, I just don't quite understand. I, th- I, I would. I would totally understand. Look, I don't. I want to keep that private. Um, but I feel like he must have. And
2: I think a lot of people an
3: opinion on it.
2: And I think Andy Murray's said a number of times. I, the whole situation is terrible, and I don't feel strongly. I, I feel strongly both ways, but but. That's not giving you the answer you want, kind of thing. Um maybe that's what he meant. I mm. don't know. Um
3: Yeah, look, I wasn't in the room, so um we're reading we're reading this off uh off a transcript, so perhaps we should perhaps perhaps you should hold back until we can um be in the room and sort of get a sense of it all. Um Djokovic's game face is firmly in place. We got a taste of it. In the pre-match press conference, didn't we? There wasn't a moment's lapse against Noshihito, Yoshihito Yoshito Nishioka this evening, and he could have afforded one at at many uh, moments because he was so firmly in control. Only throughout. the first
2: game, uh, he faced three break points in the first game, and he was. I think he was nervous tonight, and uh, isn't that extraordinary? A man who's won twenty slams and he's the defending champion. He looked nervous out there, I and mean, it was his first Grand Slam match since you know, September of last year, so it's a long time and we've had everything that went on in Australia. Um, He kept asking for uh, liquid powder from the trainer because his hand was slipping on the racket. So for the first few games in that first set, I mean, it was 3-2, it was close. And he was kind of, he was just missing a lot and he was irritable. And and then suddenly, once he'd won the first set, even though he was... Kind of, it was kind of fifty-fifty in terms of feel. Yet he was five-two up, and then suddenly, in sets two and three, he he found his rhythm and just rolled.
3: Mm. Yeah, it. it, Look, we didn't we didn't see the start of that the the match. I don't think every time I looked up, Djokovic sort of had had won. He (laughs) sort of nine of the
4: ten previous points. He rolled and he roared, didn't he? He did a lot of. Raws. I mean, that's the only word I could I can really come think, up with. I think that was getting the
2: nerves out mm. to 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 a large degree. I mean, I, th- I think probably as well, the the crowd then gave him a bit of sort of I don't know pantomime stick. I suppose you could say at those moments, and then he gives them more back as a result. He didn't didn't like that, you know. Um, but
4: it was very easy. And and that's Alcaraz, Djokovic, Nadal just all doing what they have to do in round one. Move it on to round two. Move. They inch that little bit closer to each other.
3: Move it on. Who does Djokovic play now?
4: He plays the winner of Federico Correa and Alex Mulchan, who is coached by Marion Vida. Oh, I'd,
2: I'd quite like to see Mulchan have a go. Mm. He's an interesting player, left-hander.
4: And who knows? I mean, his match today with Federico Correa never got on court purely speculating here, but an extra day's rest might end up helping him because he obviously went deep in the tournament mm. last week. So that that could help him today the rain.
3: Djokovic uh, only went to the mix zone after his match because it finished relatively, relatively late. Uh, he was, of course, asked about the Wimbledon decision or rather the ATP uh, decision uh, on rankings points. He said that when someone makes a mistake like Wimbledon has, there has to be consequences. And he referenced the fact that Wimbledon didn't consult the tour or players before making that decision, uh, making their decision. And on that, that is something I've heard from from a few quarters that it's not necessarily the decision, it's the manner in which Wimbledon made it without any any consultation um, or even communication, I think. There was a perceived arrogance about the way they went about it, Um, you know, acting unilaterally and in a vacuum that got backs up. Um, Now, I I think what Wimbledon would say is, look, it's we made a decision on principle. This wasn't about sort of diplomacy and consultation and all of that, it was we saw, we saw this as a, a matter of right and wrong, and we know how we felt about it. And,
2: and also, they pointed to the guidance they were being mm. given by their governments.
4: And, and, and that is something that Djokovic referenced today, saying that he's he's seen a letter from the UK government that there were more more options on the table than just a blanket ban for Russian and Belarusian players, and he's disappointed that those alternative options didn't get discussed with the ATP and the other various bodies
3: the the start of the quote by the way on when someone makes a mistake like Wimbledon there has to be consequences was something along the lines of I won't be able to defend 4,000 of my ranking points this year which I think look I cut some slack this was a mixed zone so immediately after after the match late this evening you know straight off the court literally but to equate the situation in Australia with the situation we're going to have at Wimbledon, I think is clumsy at best. And I hope not something that he would say um, with a bit more consideration.
2: Mm, absolutely.
3: Yeah. Um, so that was the final match of the evening. The final match that, that Matt and I watched live today was on the Simone Mathieu court. Um, and it was an absolute thriller. Emma Raducanu... Against Linda Noskova, two Roland Garros debutantes. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Let that just sink in a little bit. Noskova, the junior champion of last year, a qualifier. I think she'd ripped through qualifying, actually, Noskova. A 17-year-old in the Czech Republic. Possibly not even the Czech Republic's best teenager called Linda. <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> yes, because I think she is. <laughs> because I w- think she's better than the y- other Fruvertova exists.
3: Yeah. You think? Tell me more, David.
2: Well, I thought, I think this young woman has really got something. I, I, I said it was like watching Radicano play Radicanu. I mean, this she's amazing. Got s-
3: I know, I know what you mean by that, but Radikarni, she's not a lightweight sort of groundstrokes-wise, but she, she doesn't win with weight of shot. Noz, Nozkova is take-your-breath-away power, I think. And, and take-the-racket-away it, power. Away power. Mm. It's, David, Clara Towson power.
2: Mm, that's an interesting one. I, I haven't seen... I haven't seen um, them play up close because I wasn't where you were. Um, my My sense was that Towson was more all-out brute power, even hitting it through you uh, from the baseline, whereas this woman reminded me, because she goes down the lines a lot, and uh, uh, that's where it reminded me of um, of, uh, of Raducanu.
4: Yeah, and the backhand down the line was particularly effective for Noskova, mm. it caught Raducanu out a lot.
3: Y- you might say like Amanda yeah. Anisimova.
4: Well, you might, but you'd be wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> no... Anissa Mover's smooth. Yes. It's the it's she doesn't it doesn't look like she should have that much power. It doesn't it doesn't doesn't stack up with everything else you're watching and yet it's just produced.
3: I agree. It it's flows. not it's not as good. Anissa back end is the peak, but it I I get the reminiscence. Yeah. I do.
2: I think I do
4: as well. I, I said that as well. I said I said I do get the reminiscence.
2: You spat it out. Yeah. <laughs> really excited to see her play more. You know, yes, it's, 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 that was the kind of performance that makes you start looking out for her on the orders of play in the future of tournaments.
3: It was a brilliant match, and I'm I'm so impressed with Amritakani for fighting three. That was mm. that was not the sort of circumstances she wanted to be playing her first French Open match in. It was cold. It was...
4: There right. was, was a downpour. I pole. mean,
3: properly raining. She. Th- there was only one point where she said, come on a second, umpire. Like, it is it's too much right now. And he did sort of reluctantly go, yeah, you're right. And they had to sit down for, I don't know, probably only two or three minutes. And then they came back out to play after you know, toweling down the lines in the low tech way that uh that officials do at tennis tournaments. But it was it was pretty sort of um it wasn't glorious sunny day at Flushing Meadows vibes. It was it is it's not the scenario that Emma Carney would have uh designed for her debut, that's for sure.
4: It was a it was a proper French open win you know you have to deal with those conditions at Roland Garros a lot cold damn not very nice you have to fight through them and and she did and i thought i thought it was a brilliant mental performance mm. from, from that respect and also really encouraging signs physically we were quite worried about her physical state coming in Um, she was asked directly in in her pre-tournament press conference or or maybe in the follow-up BBC radio interview by Russell Fuller are you 100% fit and she wasn't prepared to answer that question with a yes and she just said oh I've been doing my my gym work I've been preparing I've been improving which sounded like no, I'm not 100% fit, but she lasted over two and a half hours. Kind of got stronger as the match went on because that was, you know, that third set was where she put distance between herself and Noskova for the first time. Yeah, I was I was really impressed, and all all the reasons I enjoy watching Raducanu were there. You know, the mm. figuring it out, the problem solving. Yeah, it was it was a great great match.
3: She uh, she did quite quite the celebration did Emma Raducanu and went over to celebrate with someone in, in the crowd, in the stands, sort of, you know, on the front row. And I hadn't, I hadn't really understood what was going on at the time, but then I was listening to your five live coverage, Dave, David, and Russell's post-match interview, Russell Fuller's post-match interview with Raducanu, and he asked her about that, and he it was a fan that had been there for each of her seven main draw matches in New York. Oh, wow. And she knew him and recognised him and he's come here for this one. She said, I think he's going to come back for the next one. I feel pretty confident he's going to come back (laughs) for the next one here, don't you? I think think someone will sort him out with tickets. Um, Yeah, and I loved that. And it was quite, uh, she was obviously tired or whatever. It was, you know, the interview was absolutely fine, but it was, you know, you could tell she was, she was going through the motions of doing her, her media interviews and being pleasant and giving the same analysis of the match she'd just given in the press conference or whatever. But then when Russell asked her about that, you could, you know, it was audio, but I could feel her light up a bit and and you could you, you could feel that, you know, that 18-year-old that was taking selfies with the whole crowd after all of her wins on the outside courts in New York last year. you could You could feel that. That girl coming back, which was um, which was really lovely. She plays Alexandra Sasnovich in the next round. Also wins. Uh, just uh, allow us a little British moment of indulgence for Cam Norrie and Dan Evans today. David, do you want to have a, a, a brummy corner moment?
2: <laughs> I actually interviewed both of those two afterwards for Five Live, and um, I, I was equally impressed with both of them because if you think Norrie's come straight from Lyon, where it was baking hot. Um, and he, he won that title he has one day off apparently he and caspar rude were practicing together last night the two title winners <laughs> just 45 minutes you know but that's how committed those two lads are and then he comes out and he he, he wins a first set in well over an hour i mean there was one 20 minute game in the set um, and then he just raced away with the rest of it against a local player um evans has had a bit of a chest infection. He's been a bit under the weather recently and he, he said he kind of felt he probably needed to win it in three. And to beat Francisco Sarundolo, who's top 50 now, he's halved mm, he's his He's the ranking. better
3: Surundalo. Yeah,
2: and he, he, Miami semi finalist, all the rest of it, clay court specialist, really. Evans was probably the best performance I've seen of him all year because he just timed the ball so well he was jumping on everything you know and taking it to his opponent I thought he played superbly well
3: mm, great to see we love we love a full flow Dan Evans and just on,
2: on the Wimbledon subject, I asked him about that and he said they'll all be there they'll, <laughs> they'll all play
3: Oh, a no nonsense brummy. <laughs> we love it. Uh, tomorrow, what's happening at Roland Garros? tomorrow? Elise Corne opens up, Philippe Chatrier. Then it's Casper Rood against Songa. Um, Songa's last French Open, of course, so potentially his last match. Get out your tissues. Then Paola Badossa against Fiona Ferro, one of Matt's former femmes du jour. He's dropped her. Dropped her like a hot potato. Uh, and then the night session tomorrow night on Chaturier. Lorenzo Mussetti against Stefanos. Sit pass. Uh, Daniil Medvedev, always entertaining on clay. Opens up Longlen. Uh, then we've got uh, the, quite a lot of resumptions tomorrow. So, Harris and Gasquet have to come back out because, obviously, they're rained off today. Taylor Townsend against Caroline Garcia. That should be fun. Townsend coming back from maternity leave. Matt's earmarked Gaston against Dominor. Uh, on Long, then tomorrow's one. He would like to watch Sabalenka in action. Uh, what else have we got? We've got Simona Halep over on Simon Mathieu. Uh, Ostapenko opening up court 14. Uh, Camilla Georgi, Andre Rublev, Hugo uh, Embert. Lots of French players still to play. Yannick Sinner is uh, is over on court seven. So that's tomorrow. Yes, it is still the first round. <laughs> <laughs> There is still a whole day of first round Roland Garros tennis to come.
4: And should we just have a word, the final word of today? Yes. For Angelique Kerber. It's on, folks. It's on. It is so on. And I don't even care if
2: it's on because the memory she gave today will, will stay with me because... Um, I, I was at the top of that stadium near our commentary box and suddenly there was this roar coming from another part of the the complex. And it was court six, which is pretty small, relatively speaking, but it's got about five rows of spectators. But they were making themselves heard. And it, it was just like the kerber saro suribes Tormo match at Wimbledon last year, where just everybody feels privileged and... Just as though they've won the lottery to, to be in the, the, the crowd watching her.
3: I really care if it's on. And uh, all I'm going to say is she saved too much points today. And she also saved too much points in her first round against Misaki Doi before going on to win the 2016
4: Australian Open.
1: OK.
2: I'd be surprised if it's on. But,
4: um, I, but I'd, I'd, I'd be... love a parallel like I'd that. I'd be delighted and if it was. Angelique Kerber... F- fighting like that is one of the best things in tennis we we got a glimpse of it at Wimbledon last year when we thought we would never see it again Mm. and I never thought I would see it on clay ever again and she's backed up winning a title last week less than 48 hours later playing like this again you know she's 34 now and
2: she was moonballing she constantly. was moonballing. She, she
4: did an incredible drop shot to save one of the match points the The crowd were chanting her name that was during, amazing. during the changeover. and she was embracing it all i I felt like she was having fun with all of that and yeah, it was a great, great sight. She makes
3: good matches her, but that is just a fact. long may that continue. Uh, we have our mascots, well, we have our mascot. Singular. Our Roland Garros 2022 mascot, Cooper the cat, uh, features uh, in our uh, predictions graphic, which you can see on Instagram if you like to see them see them drop like flies over the course of the next 13 days. Uh, so thank you, lovely Cooper, for being our Roland Garros mascot. We have our own individual mascots. I have Carter, and Carter we triumphed with Bianca Andreescu today, although it was looking a bit ropey for a few moments there. But Coco inspired uh, her and us to the win. Uh, David scored for Darwin today with Corentin Mute. Matt has an anxious overnight wait to see whether the Tommy Paul comes through for him. That match was rained off. And uh, Matt's mascot is the dearly departed Gerald the Cat, Billie Jean, who I've been cheating on today with Coco, obviously is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. Chris Albert-Lee and Kyle Weingartner are our top blokes and executive producers. And we have shout-outs.
4: We have Ohad Fleiderman from Israel, living in Sydney. Wow, that's Uh, cool. And Ohad has the same birthday as Novak Djokovic 22nd of May just just yesterday so I love that he knows
3: it did Ohad tell us I have the same birthday as Novak Djokovic or did he just say my birthday is the 22nd of May and you have deduced that that's the same as Novak Djokovic
4: he told us that was his fun fact love it well done Ohad
3: David shares a birthday with tennis people Oh, no, you nearly no. share a birthday with tennis people. <laughs> yes,
2: Tim Heman and Greg Grosewski are 6th of September, I'm the 7th.
3: Mm. There you
4: are. Close.
2: Hmm. Mm. Oh, head th- oh,
4: head, thanks for being our friend.
3: Yes, thank you very much.
4: We also have Justin Sears from Brooklyn, New York.
3: Like Justin Thomas that just won the PGA Championship.
2: Indeed, but a better one. Thank you, Justin. <laughs> or,
3: you know, all the many tennis Justins.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we won't won't mention that one. (laughs) Thanks, Justin. Um... There have to be
3: some good ones, don't there? Come on. It's a really Tennessee name, isn't it? Like, all American sports people are called Justin...
4: It'll come to us as soon as we stop recording. <laughs> mm. It's the pressure of trying to get it.
3: You know that all those angry messages we got about Alison Risk.
4: Yes, there's mm. there's, there's someone some out mo- there. People are screaming at their iPods. Mm. Yeah,
2: iPods don't exist. Thank
3: anymore. you very much, Justin. <laughs> Sorry we've let you down.
4: Didn't <laughs> they literally just stop making iPods yeah. the other day? Oh well. Uh, anyway, um, final shout out is Josh Bame from Kansas City, Missouri, and Josh says that he's attended the US Open, at Wimbledon, and the Australian Open. He booked to go to Roland Garros in May 2020. Obviously couldn't go. And when he wrote this, this would have been at the start of the year, he was hoping to go to the French Open this summer. So he may, he may
3: be among he us. He may
4: be among us now. So, Josh, if you are, let us know.
3: Let us know and come and say hello.
4: Absolutely.
3: Yeah. Um, like- I mean, obviously, there are many tennis Joshes. Josh Eagle.
2: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Thanks, Josh, for being I thought that friend. would
3: be the first of us all contributing our own Joshes. I didn't yeah, think I that can't would think be. Of it Again, like all American athletes are called Josh or Justin. Come
4: on. <laughs> Have you got more up your sleeve to help us out? No, all I can think of is
3: Joshua Jackson, who's just an actor. All
2: oh, right. right, OK. Well, Josh, thanks very um, much. And, yeah, do and say hello.
3: And also the fact that Kansas City isn't in Kansas. Those are my thoughts, Josh. Okay. Thank you ever so much for your support. Thank you for listening to the Tennis Podcast. If you want to become a friend, friends of the pod are the reason we are here in Roland Garros. If you want to become a friend, the link is in our show notes. If you want to subscribe to the newsletter, if you inexplicably haven't already, uh, then subscribe to the newsletter, folks. Link's also in our show notes. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter. Hannah's doing a cracking job. And we'll speak to you tomorrow.
1: it.